Good evening, everybody. Dando, it seems like you guys are having a lot of fun when you're doing these videos. Um, before we get started with the sermon tonight, I want to just introduce something that we're going to be doing in a couple weeks' time. The city that we live in, the city of Joburg, it's an incredible city, but it has got some issues, which I'm sure you would agree with me, that there are many, many people in our city that have struggled with depression, with suicide, anxiety, teen suicide rates in Joburg are some of the highest in the nation. And um, we are in this time of prayer and fasting because we are trusting God to bring breakthrough to our city. We want to see the city transformed. And we are trusting that God will do that, that it is not by might or by power, but by his spirit, right, that he will bring transformation. But we do also want to be part of the solution. And so we're doing a new sermon series in February called What on Earth Am I Here For? It is, Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. How many of you know that book? Oh, great. So it was rebranded as What on Earth Am I Here For? So it's the same book, the same content, just under slightly different branding. And so we're going to work through Rick Warren's book and that teaching that he did on purpose from the 17th of February. And we're telling you about it now because as being part of the solution for the city, we really believe that um, there are many people around you that will need to hear about this topic, about what their purpose is, that I believe that if people encounter the God-given purpose that they have, that there will be a change in how they live their life. And we're trusting that this will impact the mental health statistics of the city, the crime statistics, etc. We really are trusting that as we avail this to God, that he will use it to impact and change the city. So we're telling you so that you can, A, invite people to join us over this period of time to, you know, listen to the sermons, etc. But B, we are asking every person in this church to invite two or three people onto a journey of purpose with them. And what that means is that during the series, you will have conversations with these people, like a connect group, so to speak, during the series, and working through the workbook that partners with the series, right? And there will be like little videos from our preachers that you can discuss and all of that. And so over the next few weeks, we want you to invite people to this. For that time period, we're gonna pause doing Connect Group the way that we usually do it, with the outlines that we write, and we're gonna work through the material of this book, and we want every person in this church to be inviting other people onto that journey. So this is your time to stand up and invite people and be that light to the world and see what happens. We have no idea exactly how many people are going to join us for it, but we are trusting and praying that thousands of people will be impacted by this message. Amen. Great. So we are in the middle of a series called Great Faith. Um, Pastor Simon opened the series for us last week, and the idea of the series is that we want to be people that are called people of great faith. Jesus used this phrase with only two people um, saying that they had great faith, and we want to be people like that. And so we're using the biblical cheat sheet on faith, which is Hebrews 11, to learn what we can about being people of faith. And Simon opened with the prelude to Hebrews 11, which is Hebrews 10, um, speaking on faith. And we're going to look at the lives of three of the people in the Hebrews Hall of Fame, so to speak, which is Abraham, Moses, and Enoch over the next three weeks, and what we can learn from them about faith. But I want to step back. If we're going to talk about faith, I really want to ask, why do we need faith? Like, what is the point of having faith? What is the reason to have great faith as opposed to sort of average faith? And not as a Christian, but just as a person right? Why, what does faith do for me? 
What is having faith? How does it benefit me? Um, what is the purpose to acquiring faith? And perhaps I'm asking this question because of the space that my family has been in at the moment. Um, I've had interesting conversations with both of my parents this week about this topic, but I want to speak a little bit about my mom. My mom, three weeks ago, came to me in tears saying that she, has, she thinks that she is depressed. And um, she is, she's in a space where she feels like there is no point for her life. And it, let me give you some context. My mom is a hero. If you've met my mom, then you will know that she is just like hilarious and like one of those women that is always joyful, always smiling. My sister calls her smarties because she's like always happy. And um, she has been through quite a, you know, quite a lot in her life. She grew up in a home that was very turbulent and abusive. My mom told me that she remembers the time when she was four and when she was 10. Both of those were ages where she decided that she couldn't trust her parents. Um, and she disconnected from them at that age, and there was, I mean, a lot of abuse. My gran is also mentally unwell, and so there was just a lot going on in the home. They were removed from the home, my mom and her sisters, by Child Protective Services, and then the children's home was full, and so they were sent back. And there's just all these things that my mom has had to sort of overcome in that time. And to be a woman of, like, joy and optimism like she is, is just a, an, an amazing thing to see, and it's really because of what God has done in her. The place that she's in now, after my, my mom's mother-in-law, my grand passed away earlier on last year, and my mom just hadn't recovered from that. She has found herself in this dark space and unable to break out of it. Um, and as at the point where after months and months of feeling hopeless and like there is no sort of reason for her to carry on, she eventually sort of admitted that she feels depressed. So to see somebody that's always strong, you know, helpless in front of you is a really tough thing, especially when it's your mom. <laughs> um, but for my mom, who is a spirit-filled believer, what is faith doing for her? <laughs> what is the point of her faith? With the space that she is in right now, why should she want to be somebody of great faith? But here's the thing with faith is that it's not something that you should get so that your life is better, like Wi-Fi, <laughs> which is great. Faith is something that you already have that you're trying to figure out what to do with. <laughs> because we're all born with faith. I mean, we automatically and intrinsically put faith in things, and we only realize what we've put our faith in when it doesn't work out. Like, we automatically have faith that we will be capable people until we fail. And then we kind of question that. We automatically have faith that the people around us will be there for us until they aren't. And it's only in those crises of faith, as it were, that we actually start to question what we're putting our faith in and why is it there. And so the purpose of the series isn't to sort of sell you faith. It's to tell you about how to choose what you put your faith in so that when you're in a space like my mom is in, you've already figured out what you are putting your faith in. In, that you're already at a space where you've evaluated what is worth putting faith in and where is my faith, so that my faith is great enough to carry me through the trial instead of the trial diminishing my faith. And that's the point of this series, is that we figure out where our faith actually lies right now and what it should be in. And so 
Throughout the sermon tonight, I'm going to speak about my mom quite a bit because I want the sermon to speak to a place like that. Not just to, it's the beginning of a new year and we're excited about the new opportunities kind of space, but a space where things feel dark and I feel like God has abandoned me and why, what does great faith look like there? And so you're going to hear about my mom a lot because I really love her and get used to it. Okay. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is life-giving and that your word is never, ever going to return to you void. And I thank you that as we study your word and as we learn from the people in your word, that it is you that does the work inside of us, Jesus, that you transform us. As we behold your glory, you will take us from one level of glory to another. And I pray that tonight... It would be you that grows our faith, Lord God. It would be you that takes the seed that you've planted within us and and grows it, Lord, so that we can stand firm in every trial, so that no matter what we face, we don't feel like we need to be happy Christians all the time, but that we know we are strong in you because you are great within us, Lord God. And so I pray that you would convict us, you would speak to us, you would challenge us, you would show us things tonight, and that as we study Enoch, that Every single person would would benefit from this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the life of Enoch. I'm really excited that we're studying him because, like I said last week, I feel like God is taking us into a season of depending on him. And Enoch really did have to depend on God. And so I feel like the the things that we're going to speak about, about um, Enoch and his life, will be relevant to even my mom, to every person in every season. And so I'm, I'm excited for this series. So Hebrews 11, verse 5 and 6, our principal scripture for today. It says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So Enoch made it into this list of heroes. I mean, Enoch's surrounded by people like Moses and um, Abraham and Elijah and people who we can recount the deeds of. And Enoch is not really somebody that there are any deeds associated with. He made it into this list because he didn't die, right? That Enoch was so close to God and so familiar with God that that death couldn't even touch him. Like, he was just taken up to heaven because God and him were, like, so tight. Um, When Rex was preaching this morning, he said that Enoch was more relevant to heaven than he was to earth. And so it just made sense for him to be taken up to heaven. That's the kind of life that Enoch lived. But what do we know about Enoch? I mean, his story is like three verses in the whole Bible, right? There's not a lot that we know about him. This is all we know, Genesis 5, it says this, and it's in the list of like genealogies, his story as well, so it's even like slid in there. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. This is the whole of Enoch's story. This is it. But this was enough to get him into the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame. But the thing with Enoch, right, I mean, 
we don't know if there was something significant about Methuselah being born that made him change his ways, but what we know is it's not like he was born walking with God. He made a decision at some point to walk with God, and then he lived that out. And Enoch's life was, I mean, relatively short compared to the other patriarchs who lived like 800 plus years. But although Greg said that, you know, he never died, so technically he lived the longest. <laughs> um, but I mean, he walked with God for 300 years. And it says there, you know, it says Jared lived and had other sons and daughters. But it says Enoch walked with God and had other sons and daughters. In other words, it uses the phrase walked with God to describe how Enoch lived. That for Enoch, living and walking with God was one and the same thing. And everything that Enoch did in how he lived his life was to walk with God. And if you looked at how he lived, it all led to walking with God. And this phrase, to walk with God, I mean... We use it like quite casually, I think, compared to what this describes. Like, if you ask me what my exercise regime is, then I walk with Christ every day. That's my exercise regime. But Enoch walked with God in such a way that it set him apart from every other person. That not even Adam walked with God like this. And so, this is what I propose to you. What does it mean to walk with God? To walk with someone is to keep pace with them, to measure their steps and do the same so that you aren't far from them. So if God is walking fast, that you walk fast. And if he turns around, that you turn around, that whatever God is doing, that you do the same because the goal is proximity, to stay close to God so that you are never far from him. And so there are two aspects to this, right? The one is being able to measure what God is doing, being able to know what God is doing, and the other is doing the same. And the second part, the aspect of obedience, I'm not going to focus so much on that tonight because that's really up to you. You can choose to obey God or not, that if God says love your neighbor, it's up to you as to whether or not you do that. And perhaps you struggle with obedience because you don't believe that you're capable of doing the things God has said, or perhaps it's because you've settled for complacency and you don't care that much about what God has said. But either way, you and God will figure that out. But the first part about knowing what God is doing and saying and how to understand the will of God, that's what I'm going to focus on tonight. It's the thing that we get asked the most about is how do I know what God desires or wants for me? How do I hear God's voice, as it were? And so tonight I am going to um, walk us through an acronym for WALK so that hopefully you can remember it by the end of this sermon. Um, and I believe that these four aspects of Enoch's life that he teaches us about how to walk with God will help us to hear him even when you're in a dark space, that these four things will be able to carry you through even when God feels silent to you. So, the first of these is the word. The idea of walking with somebody denotes familiarity. Right? That you become familiar with that person and what they like and what they don't like. And Enoch would have become familiar with God as he walked with him. And the way that we become familiar with God and what he is like is through studying the word. That in the Bible, the stories, the prophecies, the um, poems that are there, these things reveal the content of God's character and the desires of his heart. And if you're going to become familiar with who God is, then you need to study the word. That familiarity comes, it, it, it's about spending time with that person, right? Like, Greg and I have walked a bit of a journey together. I mean, he's not just a colleague to me. Like, we 
have inputted into one another's lives, etc. And because I've spent time with Greg, I'm familiar with Greg. I'm familiar with what he would do or wouldn't do, what he would like or wouldn't like. It's not like I have to guess every time. I'm actually not sure if Greg would like this or not because I've become familiar with him. I know that Greg would not go bungee jumping off of the Soweto Towers with Pastor Simon because I've become familiar with Greg, right? And so there are times when we're asking, would God want me to do this or not, that really you should know the answer to because you should be familiar with who he is. But that comes through studying the word. And I use the phrase studying on purpose because it is not just um, being able to recite scripture. I can read a story about Greg, for example, where it says, Greg did this, and then after that he went home, and, then, and I can know the facts about it. Or I can read the story and ask, well, who is Greg from this? What, is, what does the story tell me about what Greg likes or doesn't like? But that requires me asking questions of that story. And so if, we, if you're going to become familiar with God, then you must study the Word. You must investigate who God is as revealed in the Word. What does Scripture say about the content of His character? So to go back to my mom. My mom recommitted her life to the Lord in 2011 and is, like, passionate about God. I mean, she... She, like, attends conferences all the time. She did the Bethel School of Ministry. She listens to podcasts, like, the whole of Saturday. You know, like, she's, she knows, I would say she's familiar with God. And I would say that she's close to God. And so, why does my mom feel the way that she feels in the space that she's in? Why does somebody like that end up in a space like where she's in? Um... And I think that part of the reason why this series is called Great Faith is because we have to put faith in what we know about God. That that familiarity must be joined to faith so that we believe that God is still that even in the midst of what we face. And I feel like I saw that with my mom over this journey, that as, as she went through this journey, there, there became a time when she stopped believing some of the things about God being true for her in the space that she was in. But, you know, I mean, I've spoken to her since she, she told me about the space that she's in, how bad it is. I've called her every few days. And most of our conversations have centered around my mom blaming herself for the space that she's in. Where she feels like, you know, I know God, and I know that God is full of joy and full of peace and full of righteousness. So why do I feel like this? There must be something wrong with me. That if I am in the space that I'm in, then clearly I've done something wrong, or clearly I'm not partnering with God correctly because I don't feel that joy and that peace like I should. And my mom keeps blaming herself for the space that she's in. Sorry, just one moment. Um, and really what my mom is saying is that her faith was in herself as a capable Christian to face any situation. That's kind of what, why she's in the crisis that she's in now. And why she feels alone is because she thought that she'd be strong enough for, for loss, basically, to handle the loss that she experienced. And this is when these crises of faith come that it shows you 
where your faith is in. And part of the reason why we need to study the word every day is because reading that word reminds us what we should put our faith in. That our faith should be in who God is and what he says about himself and his character as opposed to our strength as Christians and our capability as sons and daughters of God. That my mom has to come back to a space of acknowledging that this is not failure, this is an opportunity to put faith again in God and to see how he will deliver her through this space and to trust in his plan for her life. And so reading the word every day is about that, reminding yourself that this is what I put my faith in, in who God is, and not in my ability to withstand the storms. So the word. The second um, part of this is accompaniment, right? To accompany someone is, is to be present at the same time as someone or something else. So if you're accompanying somebody to something, then you are present with them while they're doing that thing. Um, like a musical accompaniment is that there is an instrument at the same time as something else, right? That is what to accompany means. So this concept of accompaniment is about being present at the same time as God and staying present at that same time. Now, I've just said that the word is how we become familiar with God, but Enoch didn't have the word, he didn't have the full counsel of scriptures that he could get to know God. I mean, he probably had the stories of Adam, because Adam was still alive when Enoch was around. They lived a really long time, those patriarchs. Um, so Adam was still around when Enoch was alive. Enoch was seventh from Adam. But aside from Adam's stories about God, and I guess a voice speaking to him, Enoch would have had to discover who God is. And Yes, Enoch's life was shorter than the other patriarchs, but he walked with God for 300 years, which is far longer than any of us have ever walked with God. So there, I don't think that Enoch's 300 years would have been super easy, and that's why he could walk with God, because he just lived like the chilling life. I mean, he had sons and daughters. He would have had to provide for his family. He would have had to be a father. But in all of that, he did that in such a way that he stayed present with God. He made sure that him and God were accompanying one another in everything. And everything that Enoch did was accompanied by God, so to speak. So the idea of accompaniment is the idea of determining to pursue God no matter what, right? That in the 300 years that Enoch lived, that there would have been ups and downs. But in all of that, instead of those things coming between him and God, he let him and God come in between everything else if I can say it like that. That, that. that they stayed present with each other in everything. Um, I remember, I'll never forget something that Loreco said to me when it was my first year working in the discipleship team, and I was speaking about like, um, how I was struggling to connect with God. You know when you pray and you just feel like there's a wall in, above you, or you read the Bible and it's just not the same. And Rex was saying to me, you know, the Israelites, when they were going through the desert, they were being led by God by a pillar of cloud and fire. And whenever this pillar moved, they would have to pack up their tents and pack up their nation, as it was, and follow the pillar. And sometimes God moves and starts relating to you in a new way. And if you stay in the place of just trying to engage with God in the same way, then you're going to miss what he's doing. And then you're going to start blaming God for not being there and get upset with him. But God is relating to you in a new way. And the thing is that God has called us not to a routine, but a relationship. 
And so we have to be willing to do things in a new and different way with God because you're going to grow and things are going to change and God is meant to be present with you in those things, which means we have to be willing to do it differently, right? That we have to choose to grow with God instead of growing apart from God as things change around us. And the idea of accompaniment is that I'm going to use every situation to be present with God instead of just when God feels silent that I'm just like, well, I'm just going to wait here until God sort of decides to come back. That we're pursuing him because he is going to do a new thing with you. He's not boring. Like, he's going to evolve in how he relates to you, and he's going to call you into a different way of relating in a higher place, as it were, and you're going to need to grow and evolve and change with that so that you and God continue to stay present with each other. And so there's a determination to the pursuit that we must have with God, right? That that, that, that we're going to keep going after him, that when he feels silent, that we're going to say, well, what is the new way that God is speaking to me? What is something else that I, that I can do to, to hear God and to walk with him? Um, you know, with, with my mom, like, there are times, there are, when things get tough and when things get rough, we often are in that space of, I just want to pause for a moment. Have you ever felt like that? Like pursuing you, God, is hard, and so I'm really tired because things have been difficult, and so I'm just going to pause. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with pausing. Um, but this is what we have to remember about pausing, is that the longer we pause, the more convincing it feels that we should just stay where we are. Like, it's just easier to just settle here because it's tiring to keep going after what, what is better, right? And I think my mom paused for quite a while over the last few months without saying anything because I think she was trying to protect us from her pain. Um, I think she was trying to convince herself that she was still okay. And I'm really glad that she said something. I'm really glad that I get to be there for her right now, that I get to encourage her and hold her up because when things are tough, we need people around us, right? And so I'm so glad that she did. But I'm just aware of the fact that we can't let that those pauses tell us that we should just stop, that it's just easier to settle. Because the thing is that what God has for you is worth pursuing. And the joy and the peace and the freedom is worth the effort of going after. And if there's anything from Enoch's story, it's that, you know, that we don't know too much about it because he just went to be with Jesus. Like he just he spent 300 years, fair enough, quite a long time here on the earth. But then he went to be with God because it was, that's how he was living here on earth. And may we be people that live like that so much that the difference between here and heaven isn't that great. It's just like a natural progression because of how we're living here on earth. Okay, so we've had the word, accompaniment. The next one is low whisper. And this phrase comes from 1 Kings 19. So the idea of this is that if we're going to be people that walk with God, we need to know how to hear his voice right? And so I'm really going to talk about hearing God's voice for a moment. 1 Kings 19 is the story of Elijah after he did the whole defeating the prophets of Baal thing with Ahab and Jezebel were going after him, and so he runs away, and he goes to the cave. It says the mountain of the Lord, and he goes to the cave there, and God is saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Um, and he, that's God, and he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, 
but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So God is coming, and there's all of these great and mighty, powerful things that happen. And this is God, right? God is a powerful God. That stuff happens when God arrives. But when God speaks to you, it's not all the power and the whatever. It's a personal voice. It's a low whisper. It's something that he is saying to you, right? And so when God is speaking to us, it's that personal whisper, so to speak, that we are hearing. So God who is spirit, because he's the Holy Spirit, right? God is a spirit, and we are natural and spirit. We've got a physical body, and we've got a spirit that engages with God, and we live in a natural world where most of the things that we encounter are natural, and not everything in this world has a spirit. Some things are just natural. And so we learn to judge things by our natural senses before we learn to judge things by our spiritual senses, right? That we see and taste and um, touch things, And so when God is speaking to us, he's speaking to our spirit. And we then have to translate that into our natural because that's how we understand things, is the natural. So we will say, I saw, dot, 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 or I heard God saying, dot, 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 because we're translating the spirit into the natural. But what is your spirit? Most of us have been taught that we are three things, right? We are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. And so your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and then your spirit is the part that lives forever with God, and your body is your physical body that dies. But not a lot of theologians believe that we are three, one of three, I mean, not one of three, that we are three. A lot of theologians believe that we are a two-part being, that we are a body and we are a soul-spirit, because in the Bible, those terms were used interchangeably. When Jesus was quoting things like, love the Lord your God with all your mind and your soul and your spirit, the way that the words are used and the way that they were used in the original scriptures show that it's an interchangeable phrase. And so a lot of theologians will say to you that you are a dichotomous being, that you are body and you are soul spirit. So when God is speaking to your spirit, he is speaking to your mind, he is speaking to your will, he is speaking to your emotions. And so God speaking to you will be thoughts, it will be feelings, it will be ideas, that there are times when we look back and we go, wow, God really helped me to make that decision. But in that time, you weren't like, I saw the decision on the wall. No, God was speaking to your will. And so your will was acting out God's plan and God's voice for you, because that is where God speaks. And so hearing God's voice, more than anything, is about believing that he's speaking to you. Because You are hearing his voice all of the time. He is speaking constantly in your thoughts and um, in your ideas, in your feelings. And so learning to recognize God's voice, because yes, you have other thoughts. It's not like all your thoughts are God's, as I'm sure you know. (laughs) But there are thoughts that you have that are God's voice. And so it's about discerning which are God's and which are not, and trusting that God is speaking to you. And to be able to learn how to discern that, attend Hearing God's Voice, which is a really amazing course that Pastor Greg and Dando run that you should come to. I don't know when it is, but you'll hear about it on an announcement video in days to come. 
But that is where God speaks. And so when we are asking God to speak to us, we have to make time to listen to where he speaks to us. We have to make time to pay attention to our thoughts, to what we desire, to our emotions, and to wait for that to happen, right? That we're going to make time to listen to God. So going back to my mom. On Friday, I called my mom to ask her if I could preach about her, basically. Um, and because she had gone to see a psychiatrist on Thursday, side note, mental health profession is amazing. If you have health issues, go and see a mental health professional. They are really great. Um, there's no shame in getting professional help. So I was speaking to my mom about you know, how it went and how she was doing, and um, she said that the psychiatrist had told her that part of the reason that she is in the space that she's in is because she believes my mom has some deep-seated abandonment issues from her childhood that kind of came up again when my mother, uh, my gran, passed away. So my mom said that after that, she was praying later on, and she was kind of like, well, God, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> like, deep-seated abandonment issues is your job, you know? Like, uh, <laughs> What, what must I do now that I know this information? And she said, she suddenly thought of the scripture, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then she replied to that thought, saying, well, it does feel like you've left me and you've forsaken me because I felt alone for months. So I don't know why you're saying, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, because where are you? And... She said that she started remembering how over the last few weeks, a lot of little things have happened that have kind of encouraged her when things felt difficult. Like one of them is a family member of mine who believes in God, but not in the Christian God, but started sharing this like devotional basically with my mom about grace and started encouraging my mom. And my mom was like, what? You know? But how this came at a, one of the days that my mom was sort of at her lowest. Um, my mom was saying the fact that I was calling her to ask if I could share her story made her feel like she was adding value in some way. And she was saying, I started realizing how there's a lot of little things that have happened that have encouraged me when I've been low. And that's how God has never left me nor forsaken me. Because even in this dark space, stuff has been happening around me that I haven't actually given up yet. And I haven't actually reached the end of my tether. And I'm still continuing because little things happen to remind me and what was happening in that moment was God was speaking to my mom, right? He, he told her something, and then he was reminding her of the ways that he's been with her. And my mom would have only heard that because she was listening to the thoughts that were coming to her mind. And she was paying attention to it and saying, this is God. I'm not just going to dismiss these thoughts as I'm not praying properly anymore because I'm thinking about other things, but I'm going to take note of what I'm thinking while I'm praying because I believe that God is speaking. And so having a relationship with God must involve us asking God questions and listening for the answers. And so that's really, that's, walking with God must entail that. Okay, I'm taking forever. N the next one is kneel and repent. It says in Hebrews 5, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 5 and 6, that Elijah was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because we need faith to, you must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Seeking God, a large part of seeking God is repenting. 
Like repentance is basically one of the main ways that we seek God. Because as you're walking with God, you're suddenly going to start seeing, well, God, I wanted to go there and you're going there. And I didn't want to do it like that. And what do you do? You repent. You turn from what you're doing and you start doing what God is doing. And we need to be people that are quick to repent. Because repentance is actually not that big of a deal. It's not like this major penance moment. It is just oh, I was doing this, I shouldn't be doing this, I should be doing that. And we quickly turn and repent. And repentance is really the action of faith in who God is. You know that faith must be evidenced by our actions. And as we repent, it's us showing our faith that God is who he says he is, that he is merciful and he is gracious, and I get to turn from my way of doing things and turn to his way of doing things. And he will be gracious enough to empower me to do that. And I mean, we see all the time, this is just one example of scripture where over and over again we see in scripture that seeking God's face is followed by repentance. And so if you're going to be a person that walks with God, that seeks after him, that you must be a person who is quick to repent. So I want to close with this. The Matthew Henry commentary is one of my favorites, and I wanted to read this excerpt. This is the commentary on Genesis 5. He says, to walk with God is to set God always before us to act as always under his eye. It is constantly to care in all things to please God and in nothing to offend him. It is to be followers of him as dear children. The Holy Spirit, instead of saying Enoch lived, says Enoch walked with God. This was his constant care and work. While others lived to themselves and to the world, he lived to God. It was the joy of his life. Enoch was removed to a better world. As he did not live like the rest of mankind, so he did not leave the world by death as they did. For a lot of us, I think, walking with God is, is something that we pursue as we pursue other things, that we are pursuing a family, we're pursuing career, and walking with God is probably the most important pursuit, but it does happen in conjunction with others. And for Enoch, everything that he pursued was to walk with God. Like he did family such that he would walk with God. And he um, you know, would have provided for his family to walk with God. And the way that he did it would have been walking with God. And I want to challenge us today that we would do things to walk with God. And so that in the midst of whatever darkness we're facing, whatever trial we are in, that we will stay present with God and accompanying him by being people who study the word, who put our faith in the word, by being people that will repent from doing things our way, being people that will listen for God's voice, so that no matter what, it is our faith in God that will carry us through those things. And I am so grateful to God because my mom is in such a better place today than she was last week. And it is only because of the fact that as we pray, as we continue to put our faith in him, that he will take us out of the miry clay and he will put us on solid ground. And so tonight, I, wanna, I want us to take time to just ask God to speak to us about how we need to walk with him. So let's do that. Let's close in prayer. Daddy, I thank you that we have the privilege of walking with you. And it's not because we're super amazing. It is because of your grace towards us. But I thank you, Lord God, that you desire for us to have a super amazing walk with you, Jesus. That you want us to feel so close to you that it feels like no matter what we face, you are going to take us through. 
And there are going to be many times in our lives that we do feel like there are other voices that are louder than yours. Like we feel like there are things that block out some of the light. But I know that as we pursue you, that you will carry us through. And so right now, I, I, I want us to do business with God. And I want us to just ask God, Lord, what do I need to change so that I walk with you? So that I am a woman or a man of your presence who pursues you and stays accompanying you. grace to do it and so just ask for that Holy Spirit give us grace give us grace to make this change to do this thing to let go of this thing to repent from doing that that we need your grace Jesus because we can't do it in our own strength but as we make ourselves available to you you do fill us with grace you give us everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. And so we come now and we ask for that, Lord. Give us your grace. We repent, Jesus, of wherever we have had self-sufficiency, Lord God. We have put faith in ourselves to carry us through. We have put faith in the stability around us to carry us through. And we put our faith in you, Lord God. We put our faith in Amen.